You're going to be traveling this afternoon, right? Are you Dorothy? Who else? Somebody else was. Ruth Ann is. Ruth Ann already is on the road. Okay, thanks. Let's go to the word, to the Lord in prayer, all right? Father, thank you this morning for your presence. Thank you for who you are and, and your love for us. We give our praise and our worship to you, Father, through through the offering, through the singing, and now through your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would prick each of our hearts where we need to be pricked, Father. Make us sensitive to your word. Father, this morning we want to remember Don's sister, Donna, who is struggling with, with congestive heart failure. Father, touch her life. We ask that your will would be done, whatever that might be. But we ask that you would give Donna a calm and a peace in her heart this morning. Literally, her physical heart and her spiritual heart. Pray for Ruth Ann, Father. She's already on the road traveling. We pray for Teresa and her granddaughters. They'll be traveling this afternoon, Lord. And Don and Myrna and myself tomorrow. Um, We know that... um, Ron Clark was on the road yesterday, and he'll be coming home either tomorrow or Tuesday as well from Flint. And Father, as as we put many miles on the road, we just ask for safety. We pray that vehicles will run well, and that you will keep your creatures off the roads, and just keep the drivers alert, Father, and and give safety and bring everybody back to us uh, so that we can fellowship again together next Sunday. Father, as we look to your word... Teach us. Give us teachable hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can open your Bibles to Nehemiah, chapter 10. In his book, World of Flame, Billy Graham used an illustration of a California industrialist that was giving a seminar to a bunch of company executives on leadership. And one of the goals of the leadership seminar was to help executives understand what it takes to keep employees motivated and how to get the most out of them, how to, how to uh, create a, a work environment that, that is conducive to, to um Enhancing the work and, and, and making it a, a good place uh, to work so that, you know, they wake up in the morning, they look forward to coming to work, not, oh, the alarm goes off and they hit the snooze three times because they don't want to get out of bed and get to work. And the, the, the fellow giving the seminar boiled it down and, and he, he used a whole lot more words, but I'm going to make it real simple for my sake. Um, he said, you got to teach your employees to think and you got to teach them to prioritize. Like I said, he used a whole lot more words than that, but that's the bottom line. That's the simple thing, is you need to teach your people how to think and how to prioritize. Well, it doesn't just work in the, in the work world. There's a lot of good applications we can make to our spiritual lives as well. In our spiritual lives, in our relationship with God, we need to think. And we need to prioritize. Thinking is serious business. It's hard work. And, and we think, for uh, I think of fathers, young parents, but especially the father. You, you have to, what do you have to think about? You have to think about what are you going to let your kids watch on TV? What are you going to feed them? What are you going to let them do in school, activity-wise? Are you going to be run, letting them run in six different directions, or are you going to have a little more under control? What are, you, what are you going to do for discipline? Are you going to spank them? Are you going to use a board or a newspaper or your hand? Or, or not at all, just use timeouts. God's Word has something to say about that, but that's not today's sermon. But that's something that parents have to think about. As we lead the church in our families, 
Husbands and wives. But husbands, the onus is more on you, is that you need to think about what kind of movies you're going to go to or let your kids go to or not go to. How dedicated are you going to be to going to church every Sunday? What's a good enough excuse to not go? <laughs> if the pastor's preaching on tithing, that's, you know, that's it right there. And especially if he's dumb enough to tell you the week before, that's what he's going to preach about the next week. Thinking takes quiet preparation. It takes praying. Think of Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I remember, I don't know why, to one of my, my four children, I know I've mentioned it to all four of my children several times, but I remember to one in particular that, that we've shared this many times, is that this generation always has to, have a, a radio going or a TV going or a boombox or they always have to be uh, doing something on their phone or their computer, they don't know how to slow down. I think that's part of our society's problem, quite frankly. We, we talked last week about the Sabbath and how that God made that for us in our worship of Him to slow down and take the time to think. A lot of kids don't develop their thought processes because they constantly got to be doing something or playing with a gadget or on their, you know. When I preach sometimes, I need to tell myself to be still and know that he is God so I can just slow down. Thinking is hard work. Thinking should involve quiet time, should involve prayer should involve consideration of our relationship with God. Calls for planning. In Luke, we we see the story of the the man that's going to build the tower. And that before he begins to build, he, he needs to consider the cost. And he works out a plan. And if he doesn't have the funds, then he doesn't start. Since we're talking about this at this point, I just thought of this, in tithing in that, we're, we're, we're planning and we, I'm still waiting from the, the contractor on our, our bid for uh, building our first edition on here. But hopefully soon we're going to have a dollar amount that we'll have to aim at. That we want to put have 80% of it in hand before we begin to build. We don't want a mortgage. We want to plan well. It takes thinking. It takes prayer. It takes time of of quiet reflection in our relationship with God. When it comes to priorities, we need to document our priorities to help us remember what they are. And, you know, it's, it's easier to follow a list if it's written down than if we're trying to remember it up here. Last week, we, we looked at the 56 men who signed our, our Declaration of Independence. That They said at the end of it, we mutually pledged to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honors. Several of them died for liberty. Most of them became bankrupt and poor as those 56 men that, that wrote their name on that list knew what their priorities were. And last week, as we began in Nehemiah chapter 10, we looked at the 84 men who signed the covenant in the last verse of chapter 9, and then as we moved into chapter 10. The 84 men who signed their covenant, and if you look, I need to get to the right place here, in chapter 10 and verse 29, they were taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law to keep, to observe all the commandments of God our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. Somewhere in there, I'm sorry, I'm not seeing it right now. It talks about that they they had an understanding. They, They knew what they were signing up for. They were committed to their priorities. 
Just as the signers of the Declaration of Independence and and the Jewish signers of this covenant with God, so we need to set our priorities down on paper. As a church, we have our church constitution that talks about, includes our doctrine of faith and what we believe. But in our own lives, we have to prioritize. And we, we talked about this several times before. Is that, and when we were talking about the Sabbath last week, you need to, in your relationship with God, determine what you will or won't do on the Sabbath and then stick with it. Don't look down on somebody else because they don't hold those same values because in, in that regards and how we, we use our Sabbath, God has given us some leeway. But you need to determine what God wants you to do with that time and realize that it's for you. Not for you to look down on someone else because they don't hold the same value in that regard that you might. But we need to have priorities and we need to document them. And in, in chapter 10, verse 29 again of Nehemiah, last week we began by saying that, that everything that was going to follow that in the, the message was all going to go right back to that verse 29 where they committed to keep and observe all the commandments of God our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. Because it was those that, that basis, that foundation, that would affect all these other things. The first thing was uh, about marriage. God, God is the focus of marriage. In that the relationship between husband and wife, there is to be that commitment where they are only for each other. And God said, don't intermarry with the people that live around you and of other nations that did not. And it wasn't a race thing. It was a thing of faith. Don't marry those that don't believe as you. We looked at 1 Corinthians. Don't be unequally yoked. It refers to marriage. It refers to business. It refers to any relationship. Don't be unequally yoked. Because as God wants one husband and one man and one woman to be married in a union, that is what He is, and He wants them to be faithful to, to each other. He wants us to be, as the bride of Christ, as the church, He wants us to be faithful to Him. And that is the picture that he gave us, is marriage. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be pure to our spouse, but he also wants us to be pure in our relationship to him. Just came to mind, Ephesians 5, where it talks about don't be drunk with wine. My sister and her husband were here this week. And in the, the verse in Ephesians doesn't say not to drink. It says don't be drunk with, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the key is that in our lives, nothing should control us. I struggle with cookies, okay? Quite honestly, I struggle with cookies. Sweet, anything sweet. Does that control me? If it does, that's sin, that's wrong. It can be physical fitness. It can be athletics. It can be alcohol. It can be drugs. It can be gambling. It can be watching TV. Anything that controls us that we do not give to the Holy Spirit is is sin. And that's, that's the kind of pure relationship that God wants with us. That's the picture of marriage is that in our relationship with him, he wants to be the focal point. He wants to be the only one that we worship. He doesn't want us to worship other things. We just briefly touched the the point of the Sabbath is the Lord. He wants us to take that time to slow down so that we can reflect on him. So that we can catch our breath. So that we'll be able to focus on him. That's the whole point of the Sabbath. 
He made it for us, but he made it for us to have opportunity to reflect on him. And I know that you've never heard me say this before, and I'll probably never ever say it again. But our lives here, it is all about God. It is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not even about this church. It's about God. Everything in our focus and in our life is about God. And today we're going to go to the next part in in Nehemiah chapter 10 here, is the focus is on the house of God. And and how that is to be supported. Now just quickly, to, to, to show you the emphasis put on it here, If you look in every verse, we're we're in chapter 10, verses 32 through 39 today, the end of the chapter. Verse 32, the house of our God. Verse 33, the house of our God. Verse 34, the house of our God. Verse 35, the house of the Lord. Verse 36, you get it twice, the house of our God and the house of our God. Verse 37, the house of our God. Verse 38, the house of our God. Verse 39, we will not neglect the house of our God. What we give to the church is not to be a legalistic thou shalt. You know, it's not one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt tithe to your church. That being said, no, you're not off the hook, okay? Because there's plenty of scriptures in the Old Testament to give the examples that the Jews, how how they gave and what they were expected to give. And then we're going to look at some scriptures in the New Testament that tells us that our standard is even higher than that. Not by percentage, but by heart. By our attitude and, and how we approach it. Chapter 10, verse 32, we also place, and then remember this is in that picture, this is the, the continuation of the, the, the list of the people that signed the covenant with God, and they're telling God, and this is what is in that covenant, what they will do for him and, and in their worship to God. Verse 32, we also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the continual grain offering, for the continual burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moon, for the appointed times, for the holy things, and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. Initially, the the temple tax was so that they could... um, that they would have the funding to build the, and I'm going to I'm going to look here in my notes to make sure that I say it right, the silver sockets and hooks for the tabernacle. That was the initial purpose of that offering, and that offering would be based on a census. I want to say this right: based on a census of everybody 20 years of age and older. And all those 20 years of age and older had to pay the temple tax, which was half a shekel. Wait a minute. It says one-third of a shekel here. Okay? Originally, flip back with me if you would. Nope, not yet. I'm jumping the gun. Well, we'll see a verse. Oh, there we go. Exodus 20. Do turn with me. Exodus 20. Slow down, John. Exodus 30, sorry. After I read this, I'm going to give you a couple more scriptures that you can write down if you want to dig deeper. Uh, Pretty much say the same thing, um, but if you want more references to, to look at later. But right now, Exodus chapter 30, verse 12. When you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them, 
Then each one of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone who is numbered will give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras. Half a shekel as a contribution to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered for 20 years old and over shall give the contribution to the Lord. If you're writing down, you can also write down Exodus 38, 25 to 28. And Matthew seventeen twenty four to twenty seven. Now, if you if you do any study with with biblical measurements, um, be it be it um, a solid, a liquid, uh, money, coin, or or like if you're weighing barley, you've you've got the Greek measurements to deal with, you've got the Roman measurements to deal with, you've got the Jewish measurements to deal with, and to try to to get them to marry up exactly, I mean, we, we know that there's 28 ounces in a gram, okay? So the, the, the measurements are vastly different, and some are more precise than others. But a half a shekel was essentially about two days' wages. But at that time... That was about 64 cents. Now, obviously, they, they didn't consider inflation and, and, you know, time, you know, the last couple thousand years as wages go up, whatever. So if you, if you think of about two days' wages, it gives you a little bit better idea than, than what the, the technical number back then was about 64 cents. But when it was first set up, it was a half a shekel. So that would be one day's wage. So in Nehemiah chapter 10 here, in verse 32, it says one-third of a shekel. Well, that's not what the law says. The law says half a shekel. I, I hope I get this across to you well. The idea was when, okay, when, we, when the Babylonians carried the people off and the Assyrians... And some of them were coming back. But as, as the ones coming back were, who, who was still there? Who, who had never left? Who hadn't been dragged off? What's that? Thank you. The, the dumb, ugly ones. The Anawim. Okay? They were also poor. There was no economy going on. So the leaders understood this. And the, the tax was not to be a burdensome, legalistic thing. We're going to screw your knuckles to the boards. Give us that half a shekel tax. Give us that full day's wage. No, they understood that it was a, a time of, of poor economy in Jerusalem. So they said, let's make it a third of a shekel. So that they're, they're still making a commitment to obeying the law. They're still making their commitment to give. But it was even, even then, it was, the idea was they were trying to stir them up to, to have a, a cheerful heart about it. Yeah, it was something that they had to do. It was, it was written into the law, but, but they, they, it didn't want, they didn't want it to be burdensome. The people were already broke. They were already poor. And so they, they weren't trying to make it difficult or hard on them. Now, in the scripture I gave you in Matthew 17, 24 to 27, Jesus talks again about the half shekel. So by then the economy was doing better and they, they had gotten back to the point where they were following the Leviticus instructions of a, a half shekel, not a third of a shekel anymore. The whole principle and idea of the temple tax was that it cost Christ. It cost Christ to die for us, to redeem them. They, they, back then, paid, paid for it with their offerings at the altar. But the idea is that Christ, it cost Christ something to die for us. And, and even though he hadn't at this time in the Jewish history gone to the cross yet, he wanted them to understand what, what the future held. And again, not to be a burden, but it was to teach them. It was the principle was that God, it cost them 
it cost God his son and paid a big price. And this was a small price that was going to be paid. Initially, for the silver sockets and the hooks of the tabernacle, but then for for maintenance and upkeep of it as as time went on. And you say one day's wages, well, what... Anybody, I, I don't know what it is, but I know it's probably like the middle of June. What is tax day in America? They always talk, at some point they'll say, you, you've worked, you have to work this many days out of the year to pay your taxes. Okay? And I, I don't know what it is this year. You always hear it somewhere around this time of the year, that up to this point, or maybe it's in May sometime. Well, they only had to work one day to cover the temple tax. But again, it was the principle or the idea that they were doing it for the Lord. Verse 34. Likewise, we cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests, the Levites, and the people, in order that they may bring it to the house of our God, according to our Father's household, (coughs) excuse me, at fixed times annually to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. The fire on the brazen altar was to never go out. I know how quickly my wood stove goes out if I don't keep putting wood on it. They needed a lot of wood. But the wood was also something that if you were very poor and you couldn't afford a a lamb or a goat for your offering, that at least you could gather some wood and bring it to the temple to keep that fire going. So this was a a situation where they they had a, a very organized method that, you know, this tribe was supposed to bring it on these dates, in this tribe on these days, so that they, they made sure that they had wood all year long. But within those tribes, even the poorest of the poor could give and, and could pick and gather wood to bring so that that fire would stay burning on the altar. And the purpose of that fire, again, the principle of the thing, because God never leaves us or forsakes us. His presence is always with us. That's why that fire was to keep burning all the time. Because God never leaves us. He is always present. And just that principle was to teach the Jews that God is always with us. Verse 35 in order that they might bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord annually, and to bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, the firstborn of our herds, our flocks, as it is written in the law for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God, who will also bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the new wine and the oil to the priests." at the chambers of the house of our God. So, so much of this is, is about our hearts. Because it doesn't say how much of the first fruits they had to bring. It wasn't legalistically screwing their knuckles to the table and say, you have to give this amount, you have to bring this. As God blessed them, they would bring accordingly of the best and of their first fruits. Proverbs 3 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. One thing my, my mom, I mean, we, we, were, we were poor growing up. We were so poor we couldn't even afford the R on poor. That's how poor we were. Church mice had more than we had. But the one thing that mom always taught us 
is that you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. The more you give him, the more he will bless. Now, don't let that turn into the wrong attitude. Hey, I gave a bunch. Okay, God, where's my blessings? That's not the right heart attitude either. Bring of your first fruits. Bring of your best. How much do you bring? You bring according to God's blessing. Verse 37b. We will also bring the fruit of our, oh, excuse me, let's start about in the middle there. Just after the, the house of our God. It says, and the tithe of our ground to the Levites, for the Levites are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites. When the Levites receive tithes, the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priests who are administering, the gatekeepers, and the singers. Thus, we will not neglect the house of the Lord. The tithe. Ba-da-da-bum. Okay, now everybody you know, can get up and leave. The tithe... According to the, the, the scriptures, turn with me quickly, if you would, to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 27. Now, the whole context is verse 30 to 34 here, but I'm just going to read verse 30. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. Thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. All we have is the Lord's. When you give your 10% of tithe to the church, you're not done. Because God cares how you spend the other 90%. Did you hear that? God cares how we spend the other 90%. It is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Everything we have, we only have because of Him. We only have because He's provided it. The tithe was 10%, right off the top. And of that 10%, it was taken to the Levi. Remember we said that all priests were Levites, but not all Levites are priests. The 10% was taken to the Levites. The Levites would take 10% of that and give it to the priests. Okay? But that's, that's the first 10% tithe. Then of your 90% that you still had remained, that was, that was, for the, that was in support of the Levites and the, and the priests. Of the 90% that you had left, another 10% was to go to the house of the Lord to, to, to take care of the ministries. And then, every third year, you got to give another 10%, which was specifically given to meet the needs of the poor. So every third year, you were given almost 30%. Every two, you know, the other two years, it was around 20%, just a little bit, a little bit less than 20%. Now, brothers and sisters, I can tell you right now that for the last two and a half years that I've been here, if everybody in this congregation was giving 20%, we wouldn't need to take a special offering for that addition. The average, the average, and I'm, I'm not pointing fingers because I don't know who gives what, okay? I'm just going off statistics that they, that they come up with nationwide. And, and maybe, maybe I'm totally wrong, and I hope I am, that's cool. If I am, this is one of those cases I'd love to be wrong. But they say that the average Christian gives about 2.5%. So if you actually have a Christian that's giving 10%, that means that there's three others giving 0% to drag his down to 25 and to bring them up to 25 Does that make sense? Mathematically? Help me out there, accountant. Yeah. So if, if you've got two people in your church that give 10%, that means there's six people that are giving 0 
It's, it's a heart attitude. It's about the heart. And as we look at the New Testament, there, there isn't a percentage like that. It's more like the first fruits and the, the wood offering is that it has to do with God's abundant blessing on us and how much we're willing. If God's not blessing us, maybe it's because we're not giving to him the way that we should. Other verses, I'm going to give you some scriptures to write down and look up if you want. Numbers chapter 18, verses 25 to 32. Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11. And Deuteronomy 14, 18 through 29. Those are for those of you that want to dig deeper and find some other scriptures. I always, I always like to, you know, some, sometimes I, I've had one person complain to me before that you bounce along a lot, Pastor, you go to a bunch of different scriptures and that. I, I like to show you in God's Word where it's not just a one-time deal, that there's other verses that support and, and feed into that idea, that it's not just a, a one-shot deal that I'm trying to take and twist, but that, that God's Word supports it from several different angles, okay? In the New Testament... As we've looked here and make a transition, we know that the Mosaic Law in the temple was for Israel to enjoy the presence of God. That's why the fire on the brazen altar was to never go out, to indicate the presence of God. When, when the, the Jews were leaving Egypt before they got to the promised land, they had the pillar of light and the pillar of uh, cloud to lead them. And that one of those was constantly there to show the presence of the Lord. And when they get to Jerusalem, build the, the temple, they have the fire constantly going on the brazen altar to show God's presence. And in all of this, and as we transition to the New Testament, you see that it's, it's not about percentages, which leaves even more responsibility on you, just like we talk about the Sabbath, is to come to an agreement with God and then stick to it. And, and it may be 25%. Maybe you feel like you can only give 3%. That's between you and God. Shirley can vouch for this. I don't know who gives what. I never see the offerings. I never see your checks. I don't care. I don't want to know. But God, okay, here, here we're going we're gonna to drop the boom on you now. I don't know, but God does. <laughs> God knows. And, and what's more important is that he knows your heart. And again, if you've agreed to, a, to an amount, that's between you and God. But you better stick to that. As, as they were saying here in, in chapter 10 and, and, uh, that they, they, and verse 29, that they were taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. And, and, and Warren Wearsby was one, and I know some of the others I've studied, encouraged people not to make oaths because of the seriousness of them. We have to understand and realize that once we make that commitment to God, we better keep it. Whatever it is, that's between you and Him. But whatever it is, you better keep it. Or trouble will come. Not, not for me. <laughs> I don't know. God's got it. God's got it, and God knows your heart. Um, the temple was all about the Lord. Um, look at 1 Corinthians 3.16. We're done in Nehemiah today, so you can take your thumb out of there. We'll be in the New Testament for the, for the next two hours. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? We are the temple of God now. He indwells us. We don't have a tabernacle. We don't have all the altars. We don't have the curtain. That was torn when Christ died on the cross for us so that we would have direct access. We don't need to go through a priest. We have direct access to the Heavenly Father. We are His temple. So you say, oh, that's cool. Since I'm the temple of the Lord, I can give the tithe to the temple. I get to keep it all. That's not what that means, okay? <laughs> what it means still is that it's all his. 1 Corinthians 9, 6, over a couple of pages. 
If you want to write it down, the passage is verse 6 through 23. But I knew that by this time in my sermon, I'd be late in the day, so I even wrote down I was only going to read verse 14. (laughs) Now God has not only raised the Lord, but he... Nope, I am in the wrong chapter. Where are you? I'm in chapter 6. Let's get to chapter 9, John. 1 Corinthians 9.14 So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Why do, you, why do we give our tithe to the church? Okay? Because the Lord has directed that those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel, to pay my salary, to make it possible for me to not have to work another job, but to be your shepherd and to lead you. Chapter 16, in 1 Corinthians still, chapter 16. Now concerning verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collections be made when I came. If Christians in the church did their job, there wouldn't be any need for our welfare system run by the government. Because we know how much fraud and, and corruption there is in our government's programs. It's, it's, it's human nature. You know, we talk about light and salt. If there's not light and salt in our government, it's going to stink and it's going to be dark. I mean, that's just that's the law of nature. I'm not casting judgment on anybody or you know throwing stones. That's just the way it, it's going to be because there's no light or salt there. But we have a responsibility to take care of those around us. The poor among us. Christ said, you will always have the poor. Maybe it's so that he will see how we react to them, how we treat them, how we take care of them. Do we thumb our nose down on them? Because they can't take care of their checkbook. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He, he did it so because he expects us to love them enough to take care of them. And they, in the Old Testament, you have, you have the, the, the commandment, you should not commit murder. In the New Testament, it says, if you're angry with your brother, it's as though you've already murdered him. It says in the Old Testament, thou shalt not commit adultery. In the New Testament, it says, if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. It's a a higher standard. It's a different standard. It's a a standard that, that we can only obtain to by the grace of God. And even then, there's none of us perfect at it. But there is no commandment that says, thou shalt tithe or thou shalt give to the church. There's a higher standard. God looks at our heart. He wants to see the attitude. He wants us to take care of the poor. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I think I tried to keep these in sequence so we could just keep flipping back. 1 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. It's about the heart. I think I've said that a few times already today. It's about our heart. It's not about pointing a number. Now, most pastors will say 10% is a good place to start. Well, if the national t- statistics are any, are any indication of our congregation, which I hope they're not, 5% might be a good place to start. But we're not going to, there's, there's no imposition of any percent. The imposition is that you give according as God has blessed you. And if you reap sowingly, or excuse me, if you sow sowingly, sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you're generous, God will be generous back to you. 
Galatians 6, 6. Galatians 6, 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Again, reference in taking care of your staff or, or your pastor. Verse 10, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You will not always have the opportunity to share with those who need. Take advantage of the time that you have. Take advantage of what God has blessed you with and share with those that have need. First Timothy, I never liked reading this verse. I think somebody else should stand up and read it. <coughs> but it's in God's word, and so I'm going to share it. First Timothy, chapter 5, 17 and 18. Since we did Timothy last year, you should all have these verses memorized anyhow, right? Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Folks, that's no, I I am very content with how you guys meet our needs. We, We are blessed. We are very grateful. One of the privileges of being in the clergy is I don't have to pay Social Security tax. Now, it took almost for the IRS almost a year to decide that they would grant me that exemption. I don't know why, but, you know, it's government paperwork, I guess. But we we took a pay cut when we came here from our last job, but it's almost like we got a pay raise because I don't have to pay Social Security. How cool is that? God supplied... When we came here, we weren't sure how it was going to work out. So I, I, I consider myself, us, we consider ourselves blessed. We're not lacking. So thank you. Thank you for taking care of your responsibility according to God's word. Last verse in closing, Matthew 6. I didn't even realize that. I missed that earlier. This is the Timbali passage. That's, that's another one of my three words. It goes with Anawim, Timbali. We'll leave it for there for now. Matthew 6.21 For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart? The Lord is the point of marriage. He wants that pureness in our relationship with him, that we will worship no other God but him. The Lord is the point of the Sabbath, that we will stop and slow down and think about him. The Lord is the point of the temple worship. And the temple worship was displayed by their faithfulness in meeting the temple tax, the wood tax, the first fruits, and the tithe. It's all about Him. And in our heart and our heart's attitude, that's what He wants. I know for decades, and it's and it's still the case in many churches. If you come to church with a coat and tie and a vest on, you're considered righteous or holy. If you come with a dress on with the with the hat with the flowers in it, then the ladies you're considered holy. Well, you can come with that outward appearance and your heart just be ugly and dark. Or you can come in in sandals and cutoffs and a t-shirt. 
and have a heart that's in right fellowship with the Lord. And Isaiah 66 talks about that. That the Lord loves a humble heart. That is who he pays attention to. I should have it memorized by now, but I'm going to look real quick. For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But this, to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. It's about the heart, folks. It's about the heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Purge us with a hyssop. Create in us a clean heart, Father. That in our relationship with you, we would put nothing before you. That we would be faithful to you. That we would worship you. Thank you, Father, for being on the throne. Create in us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Father, thank you for looking at our hearts and not our outward appearance. Judge us accordingly. But I pray that this church here in Newberry would be faithful to you. Thank you. Thank you for this beautiful day you've given to us. Again, we want to just pray for safety for all the people that are traveling. Ruth Ann on the road already, Teresa soon, and Donna Myrna and myself tomorrow. Just watch over and protect us, Father. Keep us. And we pray that we would be different next Sunday than we are today, Father. That we would love you more. That our heart would be more in fellowship and tune with you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You were dismissed.